0: The Creatives with AI Podcast. Welcome to the Creatives AI Podcast. I'm your host, David. and I got something a bit different for you today that's already turning out to be a bit controversial. So I'm interested to see what you think in the comments. In today's show, I talked to Simon Fothergill, a computer science PhD from Cambridge University, about the use of artificial intelligence and in mental health care, particularly as an early intervention tool for those at risk of self-harm and suicidality. We also touch on privacy and security in AI and the regulation of AI and medical devices. It's really interesting and one not to miss. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this in-depth conversation with Simon.
1: The Creatives with AI podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future.
0: Okay, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you
1: very much.
0: How's everything going these days? I know we were uh, we were supposed to do this last week, but we didn't get a chance to. Is uh, you feeling better and, and fighting fit today?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah got over freshers flu we went to cambridge university freshers fair to um, recruit lots of participants for our data collection so might have caught something there <laughs> yeah back back in business now
0: i've actually done that before myself as well with a company i used to work for we did the we did the freshers fair and then there's a job fair i think as well kind of later right. in the year that's like yeah. chaos but it was quite good fun though. So yeah, I could totally, I can totally empathize. Right, so I was referred to you guys from a friend of mine who actually works in the startup ecosystem in Cambridge. And I thought what was really interesting about what you guys are doing is that you're using AI to, and, and I'm going to say this and then I expect you to correct me and sort of tell me what you actually do later. But um, But you guys are using AI tools to support particularly young people who might have challenges with mental health or have some issues and things that they want to maybe talk to people about that they're not comfortable about. So mm-hmm. I think that that's an issue that touches everyone, regardless of whether you're young or old. And particularly, not particularly, but I, I, I think, you know, my audience is mainly creatives. And I think, you know, we're we're generally a sensitive bunch as well. So it probably is relevant to, to everyone. But mm-hmm. maybe if you start off by just giving everybody a little bit of background of your personal background, so we can kind of understand where you're coming from, and then we can just get into the discussion from there.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've had a very privileged education, I went to a very rounded school, um, and then I've done... Uh, a uh, couple of degrees in computer science and engineering. And then I basically stayed around uh, at Cambridge working for various startups of various sizes and stages um, in the field of AI um, as a software engineer, machine learning engineer, AI engineer. Um, and my PhD was very inter and intradisciplinary, So, um, it was looking at um, uh, sports science and machine learning, um, not just alongside each other, but sort of like interlinked and I've always been sort of on that more applied side of machine learning. Um, and so that's sort of, yeah. Uh, set me up through working in natural language processing quite a lot to be um, where I am now.
0: Interesting, I'm gonna take us off track straight away. So is that like the money ball type stuff that you were doing, sort of analyzing sport performance and using AI and machine learning for that?
1: So I was trying to build a rowing coach that could um, evaluate indoor rowing technique in the same way that a human did. So not just like saying, please move your hands two millimeters higher Twenty-four seconds through this through the race because no one can do that. But to be more like have relax at the front of your stroke or something like that. So a bit more sort of like human-y feedback.
0: Interesting. That's really cool. Okay. <laughs> we we already. I'm not going to go down that road because we could have a whole <laughs> podcast about that if we wanted to.
1: Yes, but it's it's actually very similar to what I'm doing now, uh, which is. Um, where it's not it's not rowing coaches who are the experts, but it is mental health uh, therapists who are the experts. Um, apart from that difference is basically exactly the same. We're collecting data from people in very sensitive situations, uh, building machine models to, rep- to to replicate and explore those sorts of um, qualitative human judgments.
0: What inspired you to? to sort of try and use AI for, for mental health? So I love
1: building things um, and I love the magic of machines. Yeah, and AI is particularly sort of good window to look through that magic of machines, I think. So why apply it to mental health is, is then the question. And I think it's because it's a, a really good way of helping people basically. Yeah, it's um, and it's good that we think of health and going to the gym, um, not just in physical terms.
0: Maybe if you start off by describing what it is that you guys do, and then we can maybe get into it a little bit more from that, because I think that would probably help to set the scene as well.
1: Right, yes. So we are doing conversational AI for mental health support. So we are basically trying to address the problem that there is a really long waiting list for mental health care. Um, And if you can automate the provision of it, then that solves that problem. Uh, Yeah, so automating that provision makes the the whole business of healthcare provision more efficient. So that is a good thing. But also providing it through a, um, a chatbot uh, can also have advantages as well. So um, we're doing conversational AI for mental health support. So there are there are people out there. Adolescents is our focus group um, for various reasons, which we can come back to later as well. We were sort of inspired by stories um, like um, we the, the, our CEO, who is a, um, a professional psychotherapist for twenty years, uh, tells us uh, like when um, a sixteen year old girl comes into into his clinic thinking about in quite a bad state thinking about self self-harm and suicidality um, issues. And then what what he realizes after talking to her for a bit is that um like the, the, the issues started like uh, three years before. When she came home from school one, evening, one, one afternoon and had a bad day and was a bit miserable and like someone had mentioned something to her in the playground and she started Googling self-harm. That is when things started to go wrong. If, if we can not even uh, make it so there's not even a waiting list because people are, don't get so ill that they need to wait for therapy because we can get in early and have an early intervention um, and uh, then we, we, we've really helped solve the problem and there, there's not really any way of, of, of doing that uh, unless it is in an automated way you, you can't have um, a, a member of the NHS psychotherapy staff in every teenager's bedroom just in case they start blogging things, but you can have social media platforms who don't want to take any responsibility for this sell so their data or provide their data to to companies that will provide that service. And so things like Meta can have a, uh, a stamp so we kind of like want to be like the St John's ambulance of the metaverse so you know if you go to a theatre there's always St John's ambulance on the side and so then you'll be happy to go to that theatre in case some, you, you collapse or something so it's the same with, with, the, with the metaverse if you want to to scroll through a, a platform then that platform wants to have someone on hand in case you start scrolling through the wrong things so yes we can only provide that in an automatic way so yeah we want to, to, to provide this this service of health, mental health support um, and we want to do it in an automated way because of efficiency because that's the only way you can do early intervention and also because some people actually quite like the non-judgmental aspects of talking to a camera where there is, there is no human judgment not, not, not hum, not, there's no human analysis, but there is no human judgment. As in, there's no assigning of 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 value to to the client, the person using the service by some thing, some human uh, that they that, that that they could have be be anxious about. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean that there is not human like analysis going on, but there's not there's not that that judgment. Idea behind it as well, and and also you don't you don't have to look look a human or an anthropomorphised something. You don't have to look at them in the eye. Um, so actually, it's actually it can be quite a, a good medium, and obviously it's it's always available even when you're like in bed at three a.m. and stuff like that. So um, yes, so we we want to provide this sort of healthcare support through this digital intervention. Based around one-to-one therapy sessions. So that there are other ways of providing mental health support through AI even. Some people just try to ingest the whole of the NHS website around mental health and do a question answering system around that. That's great, one way of doing it, and, and we might want to incorporate that sort of things. But our our main focus is around providing that one-to-one therapy session. And we want to do it around uh, to begin with, we're just focusing on a few concerns within generalized anxiety because that's a really common thing to do. I mean, common issue that comes up, um, and we're we're focusing on adolescents. Which I know this was a question. Um, I'm just answering all your questions now. <laughs> without you no, that's fine. Me. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. I have plenty more. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason that we're focusing on adolescents is because it's a good point in, in in it's a helpful point in people's lives to to provide that that care. But it was also a statistic, so actually I will look this up because I did find a statistic about it. But so the ONS in 2021 uh, says those aged 16 to 29 years were most likely to have some form of anxiety, and this decreased steadily through the age groups until you, at 70, it's like 5% likely, but at 16 to 29, it's like 30% likely. So. But like there are statistics as well that suggest it's a good population to focus
0: on. And I, I imagine there's a big crossover in that population as well with people who are more familiar using technology. I know I mentioned to you beforehand, you know, and I said I, I did specifically because I, I mentioned that you were coming on and I had a lot of, you know, I talked to a lot of people and said, did they have any questions? And the, the main point of pushback kind of that I got yeah. was, you know, they couldn't imagine talking to a machine and that that would make them actually feel worse that they would think, oh, well, you know, nobody will talk to me. I have to talk to a computer. But I think most of the people that I asked were over the age of 40, right? So I think there's a huge difference in, you know, how, how people interact at different ages. Are you finding that maybe that's also part of that as well is not only do people of that age have a lot of anxiety, but they're also much more comfortable interacting online. And in fact, they're probably more comfortable interacting in a non-face-to-face way than in an actual with a real person.
1: Yes. I, I mean, I'm sure that's true. And we have definitely seen it in terms of the channels that we use to advertise. So we, 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 we will advertise for participants for um, who, who we would like to volunteer to be part of the community. But we are doing that through not, uh, we will do it through, through ads on Met Facebook. Um, but Instagram is the channel to use. Apparently I didn't know this. <laughs>
0: it's good for uh video, short videos and reels and things like that. So yeah, I could see where you could, you know, you might be able to create some short re- yeah, reels that could kind of show an interaction, yeah. which could be interesting. Yeah.
1: Yes, but I mean yeah is you just have to sort of look around to see that sort of that, that trend that you've described I've seen children trying to order stuff on amazon in, as as just completely nat- completely naturally as that's that's how you get stuff so I think that's definitely another reason for providing the service in, in that way yes
0: and was the was the main I mean, you mentioned earlier that that one of the psychologists that that founded the company uh, obviously Mm. has a clinical practice and he was seeing, you know, teenagers coming in that way. Was that the reason that he decided to focus on sort of adolescents and young people or was it something else or was that just the reason because it was his experience that they were the ones that were kind of suffering the most?
1: That's certainly a very inspirational story for, for all of us. I mean, you have to get him on next time to ask him. Um, but, Don't worry. Uh, yes, he, he would say that it's the, it's the younger age that has um, so much need for for psychology and psych- psychiatric help. Um, and and those statistics um, talk to that as well. And, and And I think he sees that in his industry.
0: Okay, so let's, Get into the nuts and bolts of the engineering bit a little bit, because that's your background. And I think it's probably going to be quite interesting to understand how this stuff hangs together. I guess my first question is, is did you build your own tool and have you built your own sort of models to do this? Or are you using the basis of of a model that's out in the market? So, you know, did you say take something like a chat GPT and use that as the basis and then train on top of it? Or did you go out and create something entirely new? And how, did, how, did, how does one go about doing that? in this particular environment, I think is, you know, specifically like, how do you, how do you go out and, and do that responsibly? You know, when you've got such a kind of sensitive topic that you're talking about, where, where do you get that data? How does that work?
1: Yeah. Okay. Lots of questions there. We're not using chat GPT because that would be terribly irresponsible because we're not in control of what it would say. And even if we, um, well, and also because we can't explain why it says what it says. Yeah. So that would be a big no. Um, however, we are a research institution, organization, company, and we, we of course, want to um, uh, stand on the shoulders of giants and take into account all of the uh, amazing research and, and developments that have been going on in, in uh, natural language processing recently. So we do do that in the design of our systems and models Um, for example we are using large language models um, transformer based large language models that do um, capture that structure within language and then take into account take analyze words in the context of other words so using that attention mechanism that is fundamental to the transformer uh, based large language models which is a really powerful and when you have models as large as we have as many parameters as we have and you put enough training data through them or other people put enough training data through them then and they're published and put in the public domain that is a really useful resource for all um, natural language processing engineers so you want to use that but it's a component that we use and we are totally in control of how we use it and what data we put through to fine tune it and most importantly we're totally in control of the data which we use to evaluate it so it does form one part of the bigger system that we are able to explain um we just we we wouldn't never want to hand over control of what is generated as like as text for example um to a company like open ai because um, we are not in control of it and uh, we can't explain why it says what it says so that's just a, a terrible idea
0: yeah i imagine that'll make a lot of people very comfortable to to hear that and we won't go down the road of describing what a transformer model is i think i'm going to do a i'm going to do a series a short series and maybe eight or ten minutes Little sections on each technology and what that technology is and how it works and stuff like that. So Mm. for people listening who don't understand what that means, I am going to put together some some short podcasts to maybe try and explain that a little bit better as well.
1: But basically, these large language models they can just they have so many sort of um, parameters that they can basically like look at a structure of a piece of text and allow you to, for example classify it according to a certain sort of taxonomy of, of classes that you might have. So for example, for us, we're interested in the client's mental state and can we predict that through what they say? And so there's some sort of mapping that we're wanting between what a, what a, a client might, might type in to the chatbot and the understanding that we want to, to to store within our algorithms. There's a mapping there. And because these large language models have so many parameters, so many moving parts, so many levers, like it's, it's actually possible to establish, and uh, uh, get it to recognize this mapping because it's so big and complicated, it can do that. Um, but we are in control of that, of what that mapping is. We, we've got a, for some, a really, we've got like a power drill, you know, a really clever, powerful tool to do that. Um, but we are in charge of where the holes go.
0: Right. Got you. That makes sense. So when you're obviously this, all of this information is highly sensitive, Um, you know, I'm sure people and users who come on the system don't really want anybody to know. How Mm. does a, how does an AI company, not you guys specifically, but looking at it from the way the models work and stuff like that, like, like what's best practice to protect people's Mm. privacy across the board? Not, it could be mental health information. It could be normal health information. It could be anything. Are there there certain techniques and things that that companies and and like OpenAI and these other AI tools should use to kind of make sure that they protect that information?
1: Yes. Um, So in terms of security um, of the data, um, so keeping it safe so that... The people who shouldn't have access to it don't have access to it. There are various tools and techniques that you can use to achieve that. Um, Basically, you've got to lock it down. Um, So, And you've got to sort of minimise the amount of stuff that you need to lock down as well, I guess, and then you've got to lock it down. Ways of achieving authentication and access control. So, you, systems need to know that the person who's trying to interact with it is the person that is trying to interact with it. And then secondly, the system needs to know if they are that person, are they allowed to act, have access to these things? Right. And so there's, there's, there's two, two issues there. So you can set up policies to make sure that people only have access to the right things. And you can um, achieve the protection through i would say not just passwords but multi-factor authentication uh so you can only prove yourself prove that you are yourself and like when when you log into a bank you don't just give a password you have to it comes up on your phone as well and you have to have a biometric or you have to have another password or one time thing that's only lasts for a while so you have to have that multi-factor level of authentication i think is important um and also try to minimize the number of passwords that are being passed around so there's this thing called identity federation so there are certain services that will take care of of the password side of things and the multi-factor authentication side of things and be trusted and so as long as uh, an, uh, you you as the person with the in, doing the interesting thing um trusts uh this identity provider then um, the identity provider can take care of the authentication, and then just give a some sort of like token. It's called to to the person doing the things to say yes. I this person is the person that that that, that they say they are, um, and so now you decide what they can access.
0: Right. So there's the whole cybersecurity side where you've got yeah. to make sure that only certain people can access the information. Yes. And then you've got the anonymity side, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I assume. Mm-hmm. You would want the users that use the platform. I assume in the big, you know, if somebody just, you know, picks up something from somebody says on X or Facebook, and then maybe it it flags a message to say, "Hey, would you like to get some support?" And somebody comes over and starts talking to the bot. That that would just be an anonymous conversation, right?
1: Yes, it could be. It depends how we um, are going to. In in terms of what Cameo are doing, we have various avenues of commercialization and and providing this service to people. It could be philanthropic, it could be selling it to governments, could be selling it to social media platforms, so it all depends. Um, But in in general, if someone is trying to use uh, an AI service and they're giving that service data, then sometimes they do have to identify themselves to that company so that that company knows if what data belongs to who so that they can delete it if it needs to be deleted because the user wants it deleted. He doesn't want it anymore. So some sort some of identity provision has to be established. But there are lots of aspects of, the, of, of data that people give to AI systems where, where actually uh, the actual identity of the person where it comes from isn't important. Lots of other things about that person are, but lots of metadata to, to which to, goes into the provenance of data which is a big topic we can talk about later but um are important. But actually the uh, the identifiable personal identifiable information bits quite a lot of that isn't necessary. Like you can still build a model that provides healthcare to sixteen year old girls without knowing their names are Jane and Mary. So um all of that stuff can be anonymized and by anonymizing we mean uh, not allowing people who shouldn't see it to see it.
0: I think that's a good point. And it's I mean I come from a, a digital marketing background and I just want to build on that because That's how a lot of the web targeting works as well. I know they talk about cookie IDs and, you know, people get really wound up over cookies. But at the end of the day, a cookie ID is a number in a database. If anybody ever looked at that, they'd have no idea who you are. They don't know your name. They don't know where you live. They don't know anything about you. They know some, they might know some metadata, like we said. So some general information about, you know, a location that you're you're in, the type of device that you use, what sort of software you have. And, and they can make some assumptions using statistical analysis to figure out, you know, what, what buckets you fit into, and then they can use those buckets to then target advertising to you. And I think what you're describing is essentially the same thing. It's, you know, somebody can come in, you can use the metadata about it. You don't need, like you said, you don't need to know that it's Mary. You just need to know that it's a female or someone who identifies as female and they're a young adult, whatever. And they're in a particular area. It could be a city. It doesn't have to be like, we know what house you're in. It's just, we know what city you're in because people in a certain city or a certain geographic region will have similar types of concerns, potentially like, you know, it's very different if you live somewhere that if you're on a Caribbean island, you're going to have very different concerns than if you live in Finland. It's it's a whole different thing. So, you know, winter and summer are going to be different. You know, in, in the Caribbean, you've got hurricane season. So you get really anxious because you worry about the weather where you don't have that in Finland. Like, so I guess I'm trying to sort of support what you're saying by just adding another example for people so that they can, you know, kind of understand that. When, when people in these businesses talk about personally identifiable data and we talk about being anonymous, I think that anonymity piece is more about you individually as an individual person. And I'm just trying to sort of support. I'm trying to support you there. Just saying, you know, yes, we might know a lot about people, but we don't actually know, you know, your specific name unless you link it to an account and you specifically want it tied to you as a person. Now, I have a question for you in general and this relates more to like the ChatGPT and the and the tools that are free online and I don't know if you can answer it or not, but it 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 maybe you can. But if I sign up like at, f- to pay for ChatGPT so that I can get access to GPT-4, I I assume, and I could be totally wrong and again I don't know if you know the answer, but I assume that all that's doing the the only validation and verification that they're doing and, the, and what I'm paying for and creating that account is just so that they can manage access to the tool. They don't, from that point forward, like GPT-4 doesn't care who I am. It cares about what I put in as prompts and the answers that I give and is it good or not? And do I say yes or no? But from that perspective, it doesn't actually care who I am as an individual. That's only, that only matters for them for access to the platform. So that's all they care about, you know, am I David Brown, whatever. Can I get access to GPT-4 or can I not because I pay for it or not? But the system, I mean, obviously there's some random ID and I have an ID every time I have a conversation and that conversation will have a thread and that thread will be tied to some random ID. But it probably creates a new ID every single time I come in. Or do you think it has, does it carry, do you think it carries over the same ID or do you know? Sorry, I know that's a slightly unfair, massive question. but (laughs) Um,
1: um, (laughs) I think you're probably better off talking to open AI tech support uh, or not, perhaps.
0: (laughs) Um, I want Sam Altman. (laughs) Sam Altman, if you're out there, come on. (laughs) You're on Joe Rogan. I I promise I won't take that much time.
1: (laughs) Um, But if you log into a website with a username and a password, um, then that's all of the information that you're explicitly providing and that w- will tie to a, a, an account th- that that will track all of the activities that are, that are done under that authenticated user and yeah probably every time you log in that it keeps record i know like dally remembers all the pictures it's created for me in past and stuff so like it um yes that's but that's all you're giving it. It's just using like, you could make up a random use a random email address and a, and a different and whatever password and that would be your your account and unless it asks you for any other information you're not giving it explicitly but then browsers can like l- look at cookies and things and find out where you've been on other websites and it might it might do that I mean it seems to be very surprising what Facebook can advertise to you <laughs>
0: It's, um yeah, the way the Facebook things work is, um, I don't know if we want to go down this whole rabbit hole at the minute, but the way that the Facebook sort of pixels work is is pretty incredible. They create shadow profiles of everybody. So even if you've never logged into Facebook or created an account, they still have a profile for you because any website that has one of those little, you know, share on Facebook buttons or anything like that, that all... Um, places a Facebook cookie ID on your computer and then it links all of your, they can see you everywhere you go around the web and they use that to build a profile. So the very, like if you do go and just create a Facebook account, the very first time you log in, they could literally target you with exact targeted advertising. They, you know, they know who your friends like. It's pretty creepy uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> how it okay. how it all works. Um, um, I was sort of hoping I guess what I was getting at in my question, and and again, uh, this is just from me sort of assuming how these tools work, but kind of, I just assume that you've got this massive, you know, this thing, this, this model that runs, that's like chat GPT, right. And it, it's kind of separated from the business part of it. So the business is doing the, this is David Brown and he has a license to access the tool. But once I start accessing the tool, it's, it doesn't know that I'm linked to that account specific it's i'm just going into the massive model of the other tens of millions of people who are using it and like we said it it, it might use yeah. a cookie id so that it can keep a thread of my conversations but from that perspective it it doesn't really kind of care
1: that's an important aspect of acting as a responsible ai company i guess yes is like is is what do you do with the with the pii data yeah do you put it into your models or not um, I think the insurance industry has a tricky issue with that, and all these things come up through the audit, auditing. Like, um, of, uh, when, you, when you adhere to the regulations around AI, which are evolving um, and have evolved in, to a great large, greater or lesser extent in different industries, but like the, I think the argument within the insurance industry is that is that you let let let's say. computer science degree holders are statistically more likely to crash their cars than than English literature graduates for example like is is that is that a fact that actually is important to take into account so the insurance industry can survive or is that just a really rude bias (laughs) yeah no it's a good question of of decisions are a bit a bit tricky and also on the anonymity thing like anonymity is not a binary thing either um, and so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky decision is, is how to balance that. And I think that's why it's important and you are being a responsible AI company to be transparent about what you're doing. think being a responsible AI company is about being authentic and transparent and secure. So yeah, with the cybersecurity and the confidentiality and the anonymizing of things, uh, we've, we've talked about those things, but it's also about being transparent and it's also about being authentic. So transparency is, yes, but being clear about how you do use your data, Yeah, which bits of data are going into the models, which bits are just left on the side, like the names, or and, and, and so. Yeah, so in our case like we do have PIA data because we do need to delete stuff if people want it deleted but that is only accessible by the gatekeepers it's not accessible by the, the by the model developers for example maybe you have to be transparent about those sorts of things but you also have to be transparent about the data that isn't PIA data the metadata like like the, as you said like do you live in the Caribbean or in London um, and all, all of these bits of metadata are really you know, important because they allow us to personalize the AI service basically. And you if you train a, a, a chatbot on, on on therapy conversations from thirteen year old boys and then try and get it to give therapy to a sixteen year old girl, it's not gonna really work. So they talk in a different way. That's just a, a, a example, but good a good responsible AI practice is to identify those pieces of metadata those ways that data set can be biased, which which is of concern to the people who are ultimately using that data set. So for example, we're doing studies where we interview those people to ask them, like, what does it mean to be someone? <laughs> what what is what would you what characteristics about a therapist are important to you? How would you not want to be uh, biased or treated unfairly, um, like what would make, what might make, what do you think might make you be treated unfairly or biased? We're like, we, we do, everyone should do studies into that to identify the the, the metadata, which is important, to identify the, the the ways that a data set will be biased, because all data sets are biased. But the question is, in what way? And, and it's actually quite useful for data sets to be biased in some ways, um, so that you can get that personalization. Um, uh but you need to be transparent about how it is biased otherwise people will be concerned that it is biased so to leave out the concerns you have to be transparent about that Uh, you have to choose the right metadata and be transparent about it um yeah there were
0: there were two things that came out of what you were saying just a second ago one of them was about bias and you you sort of touched on it before i got a chance to which is brilliant not all bias is bad so again, if you're, you know, if you're looking at someone who's, you know, one gender and younger versus another gender and older, it's not the same conversation. And there needs to be some sort of selection in there. Mm. And a lot of people would say, I mean, technically, that's a bias. So, but that's a good thing, because it means that people are, you know, getting the right information. So that's a great point. And I'm glad you brought that out, because bias is always, almost always talked about in a negative way, when actually there are, many positives for certain biases. And, and this is where it gets super, super tricky, right? Like who decides what's a good bias and who decides what's a bad bias. And I think depending on cultures and, and, and whatever, you know, things in the, in the West, we might think one thing, you know, in China, they might think something different. And, you know, in, in South America, they might think something different. So we have to be careful about assigning values to bias, whether it's good bias or bad bias, but so I think that was a great point.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's not. not. It's not about being good or bad bias or other sort of bias. It is simply that there is that a data set is characterized in various ways. That that certain value a data set with certain values for these characteristics will cause certain behavior in the models that will be. That will be different depending on on the training data that is used to train it and 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 evaluate and, evaluate and use to evaluate it as well. It's it's like what do you want to do basically? Yeah. I, as a as a machine learning engineer, our our task is to to build models of of the world so that we can automate the analysis of of the world. So we we take observations of the world and we build. We try, we, we try to capture the, the structure and variance within the world, within our model, so that we, when we then uh, try to predict things, we, we get an answer which is accurate to a certain extent. And yes, the, sometimes the more accurate your model is, the more business efficiencies you can create, etc. But, but really, it's still, it's still about exploring like what the world is. And if the model is not accurate, that means your model is inaccurate and you haven't captured what it is about the world and that just throws into question the observations and the, of the world that you've made, the way you've observed the world, the, the structure of the model, the variances that you've allowed the model to capture and, and, and encompass. Um, it throws all those things into question and that's the really cool thing about AI. It's not, for me, I think it's not that we've like, made the, the world a bit more efficient, it's that we've actually understood the world a bit better. That sort of starts getting into ideas of creativity as well. I think,
0: and we don't always like what we find. So I'm conscious of time. So sorry, I'm going to jump in here a little bit. I'm I'm conscious of time. So um, and again, you know, uh, thank you for for spending so much time with me today. Um, just going back quickly to to one of the things that you said earlier. You know, you you brought up regulation and is i assume there's some regulation around sort of mental health and interacting with people online and that kind of thing is is that something that's in place or is that something you think that's going to be developed with the the regulation around ai in a general sense
1: is regulation around ai in a way at the moment um i mean people are definitely starting to talk about it as you might expect the people in america are a bit more cavalier and the people in europe are a bit more fussy and the uk is somewhere in the middle um Uh, there are so there is a difference between regulations standards and guidelines and they're all evolving at the moment and um, yes I hope that we will be leading those conversations helping to lead those conversations and I don't think there is anything specifically specific to mental health care um, but there is a lot of regulation around medical devices um, and a chatbot providing health uh, any any software AI or otherwise that um, is providing judgments, opinions, diagnoses, um, different sorts of levels of severity um, uh, are regulated in different ways. Um, but yes, so at AI, we've been trained in uh, how to uh, build software which is medical device class two A compliant, for example. So those areas are are um. Are more developed those areas of industry are more developed. So, so the, the regular reg, the regulations for AI in general are not as developed as the ones for medical devices because they've been on it for a bit longer. Right.
0: So, is that where you guys sort of sit at the minute, or, or tools like yours, anyway? If uh, you know, and anyone that was doing this sort of thing, that would fit under the kind of the medical devices kind of rules yes. and regulations at the minute, yeah. until or unless something specific to AI becomes available.
1: Yes. Well, the AI regulations are part of it. Yeah,
0: I would have I wouldn't have thought about that, but that's a that's probably a great way to address it. And I wonder if that's what extrapolating out to other industries. I wonder if that's what might happen eventually. Is that you know almost every industry has its own internal you know sort of standards and guidelines that that practitioners of that particular thing need to abide by. And yeah. I wonder if. If, if the AI regulations are just going to actually roll into those rules and regulations that are already there. Because yeah. I think at the end of the day, at least for me anyway, you've almost, I think, you know, we have to think about AI as a person. It's not a person, but we kind of have to think about it that way. So if it's behaving mm. and acting and it's talking to people and it's saying things, then it needs to behave in the, the kind of social way and it needs to you know, stick within the same rules that any professional in that field or any person in that area would need to, you know, would need to abide by. So I don't, maybe that's the first step is to just say, okay, well, the first thing to regulating AI is that it has to act as if it's a professional in that field and and it has to, you know, Mm. sit within those, those sort of guidelines.
1: Yes, I think is the general gist of, of my response, but I just wanted to pick up on that idea of thinking about an AI as a person. It's not, and we shouldn't. And everyone's like a little example, like if you left the gas on in your house and you went out and your house, you came back and your house had burnt down, like your house has not taken over the world and started destroying your life. <laughs> you left the gas on, that was your fault. Um, and uh, I think like, the point is, like there's no magic you know, in AI, it's just statistics you know, and data, information. Um, and it, the, the, the AI, the algorithms are not dangerous. It's the humans who don't know how far to go that is the dangerous, this is the dangerous element. Yeah, and, and when it comes to, what, to, to to building AI services like, like, like what we're doing at CanAI, um I don't like to think about us building a robot or a machine that you're talking to, because although we were talking at the very beginning about how how it's good to provide an automated service, those words were very carefully chosen. It, uh, it, it was not it was a good idea to provide a robot or a machine. Um, what I really think of us as doing is build, as, as building um, a telephone, basically a telephone line. It's a channel of communication between the person, the user, the client, and the people who have provided that the the training data, so another thing about being a responsible AI company is the authenticity that 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 we are able to be transparent about and are being transparent about, so we haven't just um, made up a whole load of conversations we, we're getting really high, highly qualified talented therapists uh, as part of their day to day job to have chats with genuine. Uh, p- people who genuinely want to have therapy, um, and and we do this a lot of times. We record, record the conversations and transcribe them and feed them into the algorithms, having anonymized it, etc. The data, the data we have, is so valuable because it is so real and um, genuine and authentic. And those people, those therapists and those clients who who are, who are volunteering their words are a part of this community, and it's them who you as a client are talking to. Yes, asynchronously, uh, b- b- but actually the, the, the cleverness of the AI is to um, create that smart channel that uh, that, uh, that somehow does like effectively summarize and, and put into con- into contact the the, 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 the people who are, who are contributing to the data set and the people who are consuming the, the predictions that are based on the models that are trained on the data set. And so you can actually Get, we hope get a feeling of empathy even B- because you know because we're being transparent about it you, you, you can almost you, know, you don't know who but you know the sort of person that you're talking to asynchronously but empathetically so it's a channel of communication we're trying to channel humanity through this through this, this, this channel you're not, you're not talking to a robot you're talking you're, you're being put in contact with people who are Empathetically generating data.
0: That's a great way to summarize that, and I think that, again, sort of, you know, just from some of the conversations that I've had with people, you know, talking about, you know, you, that you were coming on. I think that's a really interesting way to to say it and to express it. And I hadn't really thought about that. So, I'll, I, you've given me some ammunition to um, to go back to people and 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 have more of a conversation. Really. And I think that's a really interesting point. And I'll definitely make that into a clip and put that out because I think it's really interesting for people to understand that, that it's not just because the interfaces an artificial intelligence interface that someone's talking to, it's not that that thing is just making stuff up. It's actually using conversations from real therapists and and that's what it's pulling out so it's actually pulling out the information from real conversations and real people it's not it's not just making it up and i think that's a again that's that little wrinkle that kind of comes into ai a lot that i think people forget is it yes it's a machine and yes it's you know it ran randomly makes conversation but most of the stuff that it's been trained on was actually written by real people and we kind of forget that there are real people behind this as Mm -hmm. well so yeah and and that's how the empathy can come across and yeah so that's a that's a great point yeah i I really like the way you express that yeah it's a good point
1: yeah but also to take that further that's not enough you can train a machine to not not make stuff up itself but sort of reproduce what other people have said already Um, but if that's only what it does then you get the sort of models like ChatGPT that are these, uh, that I really, like we talked about before, like these stochastic parrots. Stochastic means a randomness that can be statistically analysed. But basically, they're just they're just yes, parroting in a sort of random way of what has been said before yes it had all been said before um but that doesn't mean you should say it again <laughs> um, and certainly not necessarily in the sort of statistically likely combinations that have been said in the past um yeah and the yeah. problem with with the with just using large language models uh, is that there is no axiomatic reasoning behind what is being generated um so that like the 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 very funny example is sort of of this is if you ask chat GPT if you say to it if it takes have you heard this if it takes three hours for three towels to dry on the line how long does it take for nine towels to dry on the line
0: (laughs) I I haven't heard that one No
1: and it will say it'll say nine because it, whenever anyone has said it takes this to do this and how long does it take this to do this in the past and then it uses the, the, yeah. the linear yeah. relationship um but that's obviously not the case because we understand what lines are how they interact with with wind and how you can place items on things and all of these 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 these, these um connections that we have in our brain as humans because of the experience of the world or this this ontology of the world that we have built up these axioms like you can put things on things right? like the, the fact yeah, we understand yeah. that sort of relationship um, is crucial to being able to generate a good response in that situation um uh, there's, there's this theory about communication where what you need to communicate is examples and axioms so, you know if you're just like face to face with a caveman you can say like this this is a rock okay like that's an example of rock there's no you just have to accept that that is that is a rock yeah um, and then but then i can if i tell you that if you put a whole load of rocks together you get a monument like if we introduce the concept of putting things together then I can define this new thing, which is a monument, in terms of this thing you have to accept, which is a rock, and this axiom of putting things together. And now we know not only about rocks, but monuments. Like that's, and putting of things, things together. Those things are fundamental to communication. And at know moment, ChatGPT is just doing one of them in a, way, in a way that is relatable to us. You could argue that it does have axioms because it does have... Um, like um, activation functions within the neurons of the network, but but that's not a, an axiom that we can relate to in any way, and so that's why you know for us we have structured information like like client history, which we combine with the the more stochastic prediction of of user intents of like mental state of the client. So we try to combine the structured and unstructured way uh, ways of doing things, which has been you know it's the it's the holy grail of AI to find, to have that balance between the, the structure of the model and the, the, the variation that that structure um, supports. If you can find that beautiful thing, then um, you've, you've created, captured a, a model and, and then uh, you've captured the world in your model. And so it is, it's an art as well, I think. Um, and just like in terms of, I mean, this is kind of like a creativity podcast. I, um, the one thing I wanted to say actually is, people think that AI is replacing creativity, right? That is a phrase that's out there, and I, my response to that is, where did you think? Where do you think the AI came from in the first place? <laughs> Not only from the training data, but a whole load of very creative uh, and very artistic engineers, because. Writing code is an art. It, there's a beauty and elegance to the maths and the algorithms within there, as well as how you like write the code in a nice, neat way. Like, there's a, so engineers are, are very creative artists, and and their creativity has given rise to AI. And and AI is, an, is another uh, expression of creativity. And it's not a replacement of creativity. It's another way of being creative. And I think that's um, a great a, a great thing. And and as you know, we're talking about how to like model the world with 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 yeah, we don't have a, you know how we're talking about modeling the world. Well, well what, what is art other than that exploration of the difference between like being born and being made, right? Like the model and the real world. Like that, the exploration of that is art and that is AI. So I think it's all very, very cool. Yeah,
0: it's, it's very closely linked. And the other thing is, is, you know, I always point out and a lot of people point out is that AI learns the same way humans learn right? It learns from copying. It learns from seeing something, you know, we don't just, we don't, we can't draw a cat if we've never seen one, right? Like if you, if you took someone who literally had never seen a cat and said, draw a cat, they wouldn't know what that meant. They wouldn't even know what the word cat means. So they have to see at least one example of a cat to then be able to try and formulate what that looks like. And that's, that's how humans learn. It's just, I think, you know, because humans are out, out in the world and we, you know we're constantly taking data from all sources from vision from sound from you know words from everywhere and we're yeah. watching interactions exactly like you said you know we're taking people are taking rocks and they're making them into things and we go oh, okay so you can do that with a rock okay i didn't know that and then mm. over time and years and years and years and years you get better at it and i think where ai learns in exactly the same way so but it only learns on the data it's given. So yeah, it, it may not understand, you know, putting the towels on the line example. It does it doesn't understand that because it's never put towels on a line. But at some point, if maybe it's encompassed in a robot and a robot goes and puts towels on a line, and then the robot goes out and, and puts nine towels on the line and realizes, oh, they're all dry in an hour, then just like a human, it's gonna then understand that concept. So it's just like a it's just like a small child, I think at the minute, really. And, you know, depending on how much we work with it and how much we allow it to sort of get out and get access to more information and, and that sort of thing, then that will depend on how quickly it actually grows into something that maybe is more like a human at some point that has some of, that has the ability to, you know, to, to make those connections that, that it doesn't at the moment.
1: If we can work out how to, 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 to build that holy grail model that can somehow uh, uh, represent and capture this balance between structure and variation. Um, But that is a very, 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 very big task that we don't, we don't even understand what the task is because we are born not made
0: yeah, exactly. And my, my prediction is is that AI will build it. We won't even build it because we don't know how to build it, but it'll figure out how to do it and we'll have no idea how it did it. <laughs> but it'll work.
1: That's no, fine. You can just you can just look at the code.
0: Yeah. Well, not always. <laughs> I'm sure and if,
1: you're, and if you're allowed to, and if and you can, yeah. if you've authenticated yourself. Yeah.
0: But I I'm sure there's have been some examples already in the past. I don't know if it was Google or Facebook, but one of them built a system And then the system started building and and adding to itself. And then they literally couldn't figure out any of it. None of it made any sense. Even if you looked at it, no one could decipher what it was actually doing. And they ended up turning it off because they're like, literally we can't understand anything that it's done. I will try and, I'm not actually making that up off the top of my head. I will try and put that in the show notes and I'll send you an email afterwards with a link to it. I have a couple questions I like to usually ask at the end of the podcast. Yeah. You, you may have come across those yet. So the first one I usually like to ask people is, um, in your mind, do you think AI is male or female?
1: Is AI male or female? Um, it is neither, nor is it non-binary. It is not something that you can assign a gender to uh, an agenda A agenda to, it is something you can assign an agenda to. Um, If AI is uh, the um, automated prediction of information and adaptation uh, of processes in order to optimize a goal, um, it's not a person.
0: So it's something else entirely. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And if when... You have an AI assistant, which you probably will in in the not too distant future. What what would you name it? If you could name it, what would you name it?
1: <laughs> Good question. Um, the Microsoft Paperclip. <laughs> um, uh, no, Clippy. No, no more Clippy. <laughs> um, I I would what I would name it. I would name I would name it.
0: The hardest question of the interview. <laughs>
1: <and> it is. <laughs> I'm trying not to give like a silly answer. I just want to try and give some like sort of meaningful answer that has I think some like degree of romanticism on. I think it's something that tried to tries to capture the yeah, you know, something that tries to capture that holy grail of balance of structure and um and variance, I think. Um I don't know what 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 that is 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 though. Or or may maybe something like along the lines of Greek myths like don't fly too close to the sun or something
0: like that yeah some some sort of classical name okay that's fine it's a it, it is it's not meant to be a trick question but a lot of people struggle because they're not really sure
1: yeah i think so it's something that really captures what ai is i guess which is this exploration of 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 humanity yes just don't leave the gas on.
0: So, where can people go if they want to participate and help you in the project? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Okay. Great. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you want to be, you know, one of those people in the community who's helping others, uh, help you know, put your words out there to help others. We are looking for volunteers uh, to participate in, in the research that we're doing. Specifically, um, at the moment, people from the ages of eighteen to twenty five, and the easiest way to do us is to to, to do that is to um, Follow us somehow, I guess. So you know, we are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We have a website. Do you want me to say the URL of the website? Um, yeah, go
0: for it. Yeah, I mean, if people can go to the website and register to be part of it or anything like that, yeah, go for it. It's fine. It's just, uh, yeah, just share the information.
1: Cool. If you go to Cam AI on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, yeah, we just Cam AI. see a m a i um then you'll you'll, you'll find posts uh, with buttons to click that say sign up and if you go to our website our website is cam-ai.co.uk or cam-ai.chat um slash free dash therapy um either of those will work and just follow the links and buttons and sign up um and what you're signing up to Great. is um, to to volunteer to have a couple of CBT based um, therapy sessions um, with one of these amazing professional accredited therapists that we're working with, um, and um, which is um, uh, which are free. I mean, they usually cost a lot of money. <laughs> and um, yeah, if, if you're interested, like in like that. that then um, yeah um if you if you if you would find that helpful then please get in touch because the reason that we are doing this at CAMAI is to save lives and to help people so yeah so if we can help you then please get in touch
0: thank you very much i will put all the links uh, all the relevant links to all the social profiles the website all that sort of stuff on the in the show notes and everything for people so if anybody wants to go to it particularly you know, if you're an adolescent or a young adult and you, you know, have some issues or, you know, you want to participate and you want to help this program, I'll share all the links so everybody has access to it. And the whole transcript and everything will also be on our website. So if anybody wants to go back to it later, they can, they can pull stuff out from there. And I think that's it for today. So Simon, thank you very much. It's been a really interesting conversation. And I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And do you know what? If you help one person you know not go down the you know sort of taking their own life route then then everything you're doing is worth it so from that standpoint i think it's really admirable and i wish you guys the best of luck so and thanks for coming on today thank
1: you so much thanks for your wishes and thank
0: you for having me. Cheers. all right i'll speak to you soon
1: the creatives with ai podcast the spiritual home of creatives curious about ai and its role in their future